So this morning, we're looking at a parable. And a parable is it's a story, it's a type of story that borrows from a real-life situation. Uh, and this, this story wants to, wants to convey some sort of moral or spiritual truth. Parables aren't fables, they're not allegories where every detail has a hidden meaning. They're an earthly story, but there's a heavenly meaning behind it. And many parables such as this were told by Jesus to inform us about who he is, to shape our understanding of God, and to comfort us, and sometimes even challenge us, which is what this one will do today. For the kingdom of heaven is like is how verse 1 begins. And so that gives us a clue on what the topic of this parable is. What is this parable saying about the kingdom of heaven? When we read for it, many aspects just don't make sense. Our expectation is that the laborers who are hired last should only get a fraction of the daily pay rate, something commensurate to the amount of effort that they put in. And if not, then those who who were hired at the very beginning of the day, well, they should be getting some sort of bonus, right, in their pay packet. But that's not what happens. And what about the owner of the vineyard? At first glance, his actions seem somewhat wasteful. Have you ever met a business owner who hires contract workers late in the day but then gives them a full, full day's pay? It's not efficient use of company funds. And this owner is setting themselves up for some pain the next day. If you've ever been given a pay increase, then the next time the pay review comes through, you're going to be expecting similar amount, maybe more, but at least you're going to be expecting something. Um, this landowner has now set some expectations that a denarius may actually be an hourly rate of pay and not a daily. And so the next day, the negotiations are going to be quite tricky when he tries to convince people to work. And how's he going to continue uh, meeting those expectations without going broke. If we read this parable through the lens of our understanding of the world, then we'll draw conclusions such as that. After, after all, the world does say, an honest day's work, an honest day's pay, a person should get what they deserve, and profits, not losses. But this parable isn't about those things. This parable isn't about good business practices, it's not about fair labor laws or anything like that. Instead, this parable is all about God and what the kingdom of God, oh, sorry, what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's a parable that teaches us about the grace of God and how grace underpins the constitution of his kingdom. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I'm sure you've all heard that hymn. And according to Wikipedia, there are over a thousand versions and revisions that have been recorded of this. But what is grace and why is it so amazing? Grace can be easily misunderstood. The simplest way to define it is unmerited favor or perhaps undeserved generosity. And what's the opposite of grace? Well, that's merited favor, or in other words, work. Romans 4, uh, verse 4, uses an analogy of work and wages. Now, to the one who works, 
Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. To work means to earn something in return. When you work, there's an obligation that you get some sort of compensation for that, such as wages. And those things that you earn are not a gift. They're actually fulfilling the obligation. Romans 11.6 also contrasts work and grace as opposite ideas. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, then grace would no longer be grace. Works is merited favour. Grace is unmerited favour. The Bible wants us to understand that God has saved us by grace, not by, not by works, not by earning it, and it's not by merit. And this morning we're going to see that this parable is all about God and that grace is central to the kingdom of heaven. And this parable uses this notion of work to help us understand grace. So before we jump into the word, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we're able to be here and able to gather together around your word. I just pray that your spirit will be here, that your spirit will be in our hearts, quietening them um, and opening them to the receptivity of what it is you would like to say today. Just pray that, uh, that your words will be expounded. In your name, amen. So let's have a look at this passage. Verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went early in the morning to hire workers. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out, saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing there. He asked, why have you been standing here all day, doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go work in my vineyard. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner out searching for employees. In Jesus' day, if people needed work, then they would have gone to the marketplace because that's where foremen would have gone um, who were seeking labourers for work that needed to be done that day. It's a way to get short-term uh, short hire for contract. And in this parable, the landowner represents God. Jesus is teaching us something about God's character, about this landowner who's going out. And there are several things that we all notice about this landowner. Um, the first thing that he's rolling up his sleeves and he's personally taking the initiative to go in search for the, for the workers. Usually it would have been the foreman that went out, but this is the landowner that's going out. He's taking a personal interest in this. This shouldn't surprise us because throughout all of history, since God has created mankind, God has worked this way. In the Garden of Eden, before man's fall, the relationship between man and God was actually good. But after the fall, sin entered the world and the relationship was broken. Since then, mankind has hidden from God because of the guilt and the self-condemnation that we feel because of sin. God went into the garden calling out, where are you? And ever since then, God has taken the initiative, stepping towards mankind. 
It was God who called Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Samuel, David, Elijah, Elisha. Then there's also James, Peter, John, and Matthew, the author of this book that we're reading today. But even, even right now, God is the one who's reached out to each of us, either through his word or through one of his workers. And God has called us to him. This is God's character. He's always reaching out to people. Secondly, we notice that he gave those that he called a purpose. All that turned up to the marketplace in the morning did so expectantly and hopeful for what the day might bring. But as the day wore on, those that didn't get hired, well, they would have been filled with uncertainty and would have had a sense of resignation. They knew in their hearts that they would be going home empty-handed. But when the landowner called them, he gave them a sense of purpose and a mission for their day. When a person loses their purpose in life, well, they fall into despair, hopelessness, meaningless, a sense of depression. But when you have a mission to accomplish, spirits are invigorated. There's direction, there's purpose. And when we have a mission, it brings purpose to our lives and meaning to our lives no matter how big or small that mission might be. When you have a purpose, then hard work, even in a vineyard, can be enjoyable. This landowner brought a sense of purpose to these workers. Another thing we notice is that the landowner is generous. These first workers were promised to be paid a denarius, which was the daily wage of a Roman worker. And whilst a denarius might not mean much to you and I, it meant a great deal to those listening in Jesus' day. Roman soldier was not the most glorious or prestigious job, but it was higher up in the economic ladder compared to a common labourer. So as such, this landowner's promise of a denarius to these workers was actually being quite generous. And it's like comparing the minimum wage in Australia, which is 1984 an hour, to the median household income, which is 45.36 an hour. A labourer would have gotten the minimum wage, but being offered a denarius was the equivalent of getting the median. And as you imagine, those, those first workers would have eagerly agreed to an above market rate. The landowner was being generous. And finally, we notice that the compassion uh, shown by this landowner. It's hard not to notice how many times the landowner went out into the marketplace looking for workers. And it's understandable, you know, in the first thing in the morning, you would go out, even at 9am, even at noon, to find people because you might need to top up your, work, your, your workforce for the day. There's more things to be done. But to go out at 3 and even at 5 just seems inefficient and a bit wasteful. How much work could a worker really do in a couple of hours? It just, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. But through his actions... We can, we can see that he has concern for workers. He's not looking for efficiency. He's not looking for trying to get a last couple of jobs done. He went out and he asked, why have you been standing here all day? By that 11th hour, the work on most vineyards would have been winding down, but yet he brought people in. It just makes no sense other than he had some compassion 
for these people that were standing there. The people there who were waiting for work in that marketplace that had lost hope. He wasn't interested in just the vineyard, he was interested in these people. And that also reveals God's heart. God doesn't want to miss anyone, so he goes out again and again and again. And we see this in 1 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is why God continues to reach out again and again. He's, he's done so throughout history and he's doing so now. Let's keep reading uh, verse 8 and see what else um, we learn about this landowner. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last hired, then going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. Did the landowner do anything wrong here? I'm sure, I'm sure you'll all agree he hasn't cheated anyone out of anything. Those hired early in the morning, they agreed to work for a denarius, which is exactly what they got paid. But as we see, the landowner paid all the workers the same amount of money, irrespective of time worked, which makes us scratch our heads a little when we, when we look at that. It may not be cheating, but it does seem inequitable, um, perhaps even unfair. And there's a word for that. The word is justice, which is getting something that you deserve. But in this parable, Jesus wants us to see that the landowner wasn't trying to be fair. This isn't a parable about justice. Rather, this landowner was trying to be generous because it's a parable about grace. The landowner wasn't giving the workers their pay because of merit. He was giving them their pay out of compassion. Each worker got paid a wage that was enough for them to take home and feed their family for the day. And that's the point of this parable. It's about the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom full of God's grace and compassion and generosity. And as we read on in verse 11, when they received it, they began to grumble um, against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only. Those who those who were hired last worked only an hour. They said, "But you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day." But he answered one of them. I'm not being unfair to you, my friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was, who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? The workers who worked the full day started to grumble and the landowner challenged them. He said he hadn't cheated them and that it was his prerogative to be generous with his wealth. God's generosity, his love, and his grace is extended to all equally. These words of Jesus are meant to remind us all that we are all in need of God's grace, and no one deserves that grace more than another. God's ways are not our ways. If God chooses to love us and be generous to all of us, well, that's God's business. 
It's not ours to decide who's in or out or who's deserving or not. So having looked at the landowner, what can we see about the workers? By the close of the day, we can see that there's actually two groups of workers. There's those that were hired early, and they agreed to a certain payment amount. The, the denarius for the day was agreed up front. But then there's those that were hired later in the day with a payment promised by the landowner. The promise was, I will pay you whatever is right. That's in verse 4. That second group had no contract, but they chose to trust the goodness of the landowner. They could have chosen to uh, decline the opportunity to work for an ambiguous wage, and perhaps some in the marketplace actually did decline. They wanted to know what it was. But these ones in this group, they chose to work. There was no agreement there. This vineyard of the landowner was open until 6 p.m. God's vineyard is open uh, widely. It's open right now to everyone and for everyone who, who makes a choice. That's the time that we're living in, but a time will come where this vineyard will close. And when that time comes, it is the time to settle accounts. We take a look closer at verse 8. When evening came, the owner of vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last hired first and going to the first. This typical mode of payment of last to first, well, in, in those days, the first who were, who were there would have been the first ones to be paid. But Jesus turns it around. It's the last who came that were the first ones to be paid. And so everyone there would have just been wondering, you know, what is going on here? This is unusual. The workers who'd worked for an hour would never have expected to get a full day's pay, let alone a denarius. But the landowner paid them according to his generosity and not according to how much they worked. His generous gift met their needs. And you can imagine how overjoyed those ones were. But for, for those that worked more than an hour, well, they naturally would have thought if the owner gave them a day's pay for working an hour, then there must be a bonus in it for us. But their hopes were dashed when they got the same pay and they grumbled. The grumbling seems reasonable. But from their point of view, having worked and suffered more, they felt that they deserved some recognition for that. Their joy turned to anger when they realized they received the same. The first workers, though, have forgotten what it was to be for the privilege to work in the vineyard. They'd forgotten that they actually were getting a better pay rate than a common laborer. Others were working in other vineyards that day would, would have gotten the standard laborer rate. And when they forgot about that landowner's grace, they became self-centered. And then that led to the sense of self-righteousness, that I should be getting more because I was here longer. If they had seen it from the landowner's point of view, or perhaps even from the worker's point of view who only worked an hour, then maybe they could have found some reason to be happy and thankful. But in their self-centeredness, they only complained and they grumbled against the landowner. The landowner in this parable is God. And the denarius paid in this parable refers to salvation and eternal life. 
That's the gift that's given by God to sinners such as us. That's his grace. Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 tells us, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. God sent his only son, Jesus, to save mankind from their sins. God has done everything for our salvation through Jesus' death and through Jesus' resurrection. And even though he's done everything, he doesn't force us to choose him. God asks us to trust in him and have faith in his promises. Like that second group of workers who had to trust the goodness of the landowner, that he would pay them right. God wants us to make a decision of faith, to accept his generous offer of grace. And those who receive it will receive an eternal gift, an eternal, a gift of eternal life. Sorry. The same gift is given equally to all who believe. It doesn't depend on any work that we do, nor how long we've trusted him, whether our journey with Jesus has been short or long, it's only by God's grace. So we shouldn't compare our works with others because none of us can boast. The only thing we should do, the right response, is to be thankful to God for his generosity. What the landowner did with his money was up to him and he paid each person and what he paid each person was his own business. It shouldn't matter what anyone gets paid but because of our sinful nature, it does. And we're sinful people. When we first experience God's love, we are overjoyed, just like those workers hide late. But over time, we can become more like those first workers, forming higher expectations. Are we serving God willingly and gladly, simply because we love our God? Do we delight in the service itself of serving him? Or do we work only for a reward, to be acknowledged? to be given a wage. Because if we're only working for a wage, then Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. And that's the wage that we will be given. But the gift of God is eternal life. How do you feel about someone who does terrible things in their lifetime only to, made, only to be made equal to us when they acknowledge and accept Jesus? According to this parable, they're equal. Do you have any thoughts that, you know, would be far easier to accept Jesus right at that last moment and receive the same reward? Those who are hired last faced a great deal of fear and anxiousness. Fear that those that were hired first didn't experience anxiousness about what their families would eat that day. Not just fear, there would have been questioning of self-worth, being overlooked in the marketplace by different foremen, reinforcing any insecurities that they might have, maybe even possibly feeling, you know, what is wrong with me? Why aren't I getting hired? The same can be said for those that accept Christ later. They've had to bear a lifetime of sin, of, of shame that comes from sin, the crushing sense of failure when the things that they put their identity in, such as wealth, that job, 
the opinions of others, when those things evaporate and break down. There's emptiness. There's grief. There's a lack of peace. We've seen so much turmoil just in these last couple of weeks. Uh, and I've got some friends on social media that just feel like the world is ending. They're just in this high state of tension. But they, they're, they're not understanding this peace that as believers, we have this sense of peace that we can go through life without really worrying too much because we know God has us. Someone who has gone through life and has not known Jesus, they lack peace. Are they really better off, you know, having this life that we think is just enjoyable if you weren't a Christian? That's why it's so important that the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner of a vineyard who went out to hire workers to work in his vineyard. God goes back again and again and again to make sure he brings you into his kingdom. Because in sending you to the vineyard, Jesus has taken your sin. It's nailed up there on the cross. It's died with him on that Good Friday. doesn't matter whether you came to know Jesus as a child, teenager, young adult, whether middle-aged, older-aged, or on your deathbed doesn't matter what your sin was, adultery, refusal to hear, murder, adultery, theft, covetousness. The blood, the blood of Jesus is for all, and the blood of Jesus is for you. You're in Christ's vineyard, you're in Christ's kingdom. And that day's denarius is for you. Eternal life is yours, and it's apart from any works that you've performed. And all of this is a gift, a gift of God's generosity and grace. Now, I'm just going to put this parable a little bit in context. Uh, if you turn back to me, uh, a page to Matthew 19, we see in verse 16, a rich man asks Jesus a question. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus then proceeds to tell him, in the following verses, throughout that passage, all the things that he can do. Keep all the commandments. Give away your idols that, are, that you're drawing your identity from. In that man's case, it was his wealth. But these are impossible things for mankind to do on their own. Jesus puts it in verse 17 of that passage. There is only one who is good. The disciples knew the impossibility of what Jesus was answering to this man. They asked in verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus' point to the parable that we looked at in Matthew 20, that we looked at this morning, is that there is no deed on our own that we could ever do to attain eternal life. Jesus' answer made that crystal clear. It's impossible to man, but it's not impossible to God. Eternal life comes from the work of God alone. The impossibility is made possible by the gift of God through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. Our parable today ends in verse 16, so that the last will be first and the first will be last. In the kingdom of God, our perceived position, our perceived position makes no difference. 
because Jesus shows no partiality. The words, the first shall be last, are intended to remove all presumption that we might have to prevent us from exalting ourselves above others. While the words, the last shall be first, are directed against any despair that we might feel because of the order. The great question of the last day will be, not how much have you done, but what's your relationship with Jesus? And does he know you? Jesus is the first. He was creator, but he became last. And he did that so that us, who are last, could be made first in his kingdom forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that, that you are a loving and gracious and generous God. We thank you that you look past anything and everything that has gone on in our life. That you want to know us, that you want to love us, that you want to be with us, irrespective of those things. We just thank you that, that you're bigger than us. Um, you know, we have that nature to, to really compare and to look and to judge. But we thank you that, that you look past all that. You're bigger than us. We thank you for your offer to be part of your kingdom. We just pray for your, your guidance. We pray for your strength. And we thank you for the hope of eternal life that we have when we accept your gift. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.